Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flail Forward podcast. I am your host this week, Rob. We're going to be talking about uh, innovation and novelty in game design. Um, and we're going to be bringing up some games to highlight and see what uh, the rest of us think. So should we just start at the top and jump right in? I think so. So, Carr, you were going to bring up Deadlands. So... Give the us, original uh, Deadlands. The original Deadlands, yes. So why is that uh, innovative and or novel or not? Okay. Um, Setting-wise, it married the concept of the American uh, Wild West with zombie apocalypse and magic. And the, the mechanics of it dovetailed straight into that being poker chips and playing cards just fit right into the themes and it had six-sided dice as well so pretty much any game that was being played in the wild west mechanics from those games had their presence in deadlands and it was just great gruesome fun to be you know taking out zombies with six shooters yes i will heartily agree to that didn't dead is Deadlands the one that has like the human target that you would know pieces on? Is that something else? That is a game called Aces and Eights, which is <laughs> the one I mentioned before. Yeah, um, I that, get those two confused. Yeah, well, Aces and Eights is a is a is a, it, it's a Western game. Um, it's probably closer to like an OSR mechanically, but it's D twenty, but it's very very weird D twenty in terms of like what extra stuff i mean there's mechanics for running a jury trial and a cattle drive and shotgun pellet hit locations like i was with you until that last one <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's the the shotgun attack rules are pretty pr- pretty ridiculous i'd have to say um you roll a d20 you place the shot clock over the target then you uh draw a card and then I believe you rotate the target based on the card and the value of the D20. And then I think you do it again, but I'm not 100% sure about that last part. I think that's how it goes, but it's holy mackerel. Is it time consuming? Let's just hope that, that if you use a shotgun, somebody probably died. Yeah, probably in the first pellet, probably. Now, I, I, Deadlands got like a second and third edition, didn't it? And did they keep those mechanics? Does anyone know? It has a Savage... The most recent is a Savage Worlds edition. Oh, okay. The Savage Worlds one did keep the card mechanic for certain classes, but... Mm, cool. Especially when you were invoking magic or superpowers. Mm. I don't think the D20 conversion maintained any of the rightfully... Oh. Western-y stuff, yeah. Western-y stuff, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So I, I, I can't think of any too many other games that use, like, all the sort of like the, 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 the Western casino, like in its totality, like the cards, the chips and the, and the six sided dice that are, you know, from craps or whatever. Um, well, they don't use a roulette wheel. Hmm. Yeah. A roulette yeah. wheel, I guess. Just, yeah. Just the fact that they managed to merge all these things, these disparate things together and have them work together was mm-hmm. pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a neat piece of design. I'm worth checking out. Cool. So, uh, Cat, you are next on El Listo. 
Yeah, I was going to talk about the elite dangerous one, but since you used that definition as novel, we may as well go back to what I was going to go about it was the setting and everything, in which case we may as well go back to Shadowrun on being like the novel game that everybody loves and everybody hates to actually play in its own mechanics. <laughs> a horrible divergence between uh, setting and, and mechanics is, was, is, is your novelty. <laughs> no, it had actually quite a lot of uh, things that were pretty novel about it. Like, it did, like, in particular, I think it was the first game where it's like, you can go several sessions without action. Like, up to that point, everything was really heavily based on, like, war games and such. And then mm. this one, it's very almost spy-like because, like, mm -hmm. you plot out your heist, essentially. And you can be plotting and uh, prepping for it for several sessions in a row, and then everything all goes to hell in, like, five minutes once you actually get in there. But yeah, but in Murp, you can level simply by walking, so I just wanted to, dis to dispute that a little bit. Go on. <laughs> I suppose, but overall, I think uh, Shadowrun wasn't the first... It, I don't think it was the first of the uh, the sort of dystopian future RPGs, but it did have a lot of other uh, things in terms of like setting up not just the setting and the flavor of it, but also things like the the mechanics which tied so heavily into that dystopian future, like setting up um, the riggers and uh, mm. all of like the net and so on, the way it'd been set up. So. I think it actually did stand out fairly novel when it came out. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I definitely. I mean, it was it was the game that was like, oh, it's f fantasy in the future. You know, I think it was one that really sort of took those tropes. For I don't remember a game before that, or I don't know of one that did um, elves and science trolls. Fantasy, and just science fantasy like that. You know. Yeah, I can't think of any. Like, there's there were some others that had like the dystopian future like when did they... cyberpunk come out the original uh, cyberpunk? i'm pretty sure it came out before i'm not 100 certain it's early 80s it's like 82 i think no the original 20 mm. cyberpunk 2020 came out in 82 really oh i thought you were talking about the original cyberpunk short story by um no whatever his name uh... was 80 uh... oh 19... 1988 was the first one and i i think shadowrun was 80 Seven? Uh, looks like Cyberpunk 2020 at least was in 1988. Mm -hmm. uh, no, first Shadowrun was published in 89. So Cyberpunk was uh, did precede it by a year. They were probably working on it at the same time, though. But yeah, that that's pretty interesting. I didn't. I didn't yeah, I'd, I'd like to say that Shadowrun had you know more polish, but that'd be a lie. The first edition of Shadowrun was pretty was pretty pretty sexy. 
the mechanics were way crazier than they are now, if you can believe that, because it wasn't, you didn't have, so like now the Shadowrun system is you, a, a five on the D6 is considered a success. In first edition, it was, you could have any number on the dice, so the target number changed. Um, and then also it was possible to get results of seven and above on a D6 because uh so tar- high target number skill tests would be like seven and the way that would work is you would roll the dice pool any dice that rolled a six you would re-roll and you would add the result to the original six so it had this weird quirk and that difficulty six and seven were functionally identical but um yeah because you could only roll a one plus but it was, yeah, so if, if, if you think the Shadowrun rules now are cumbersome, go back to first edition and uh, have moving target numbers as well. There's no point. Why? Oh, my God. <laughs> yep. No, that, that bothers me. Just, okay, you roll yeah. a six, and then you roll again. And it's like, no, don't ever roll again. That's a complete waste of time when you can't get a meaningful other number. Like, okay, I could see it on... A target number of eight, mm-hmm. but that no, I know, I know. It, it's the quirk, the quirk of the system. But and then and then uh, <sighs> yeah. So and then World of Darkness basically took Shadowrun system and turned it into D10s. Yeah, I think the um, dice pool. I mean, although a lot of people don't like, and uh, I think that really is something that Shadowrun brought to the table and popularized, regardless of how cumbersome people think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in that sense, although maybe we may not look at it as a good thing, it's that's something that it introduced also. Yeah, well, I think dice pools are useful, but that you not not in the scales that shadow runs tend to get to, where you're rolling. I mean, thirty four d six. Yeah, mm-hmm. thirty plus die. Like you take the entire <laughs> brick of those chess x d sixes that have thirty six dice in them, and you just upend two of those, and that's your that's your roll. Like that's doable. I, yeah, I think there's though there's a group of players that find that satisfying. Sure, like the same group of players that finds like a a plus twenty to a, an ability or you know that type of thing satisfying too. Which yeah, is, it's strange to me, but I think that it, that's a thing. It's not strange to me. I do like rolling massive handfuls of dice. I just don't like having to do it uh, three times for every action, twice <laughs> or twice for every action, like. <laughs> Once or twice a session, totally fine. If the you know if I can if the fiction of it is cool enough, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, drop a huge explosion or something like that. But yeah, for every action, it's like, bro. <laughs> Maybe I should talk about my my yeah. thing then. Yeah, talk about um, your thing, Fred. Please get us away from the shadow run. What's your uh, what's your thing called? Just just real quick. What's it uh, called? my dick? Uh- <laughs> No, uh, the thing that I brought for show and tell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let these mermaids touch your dick, maybe. Um, mm. The maybe is a really important part there. Very important. It's a suggestion. Yeah, you don't have to let them touch your dick. I'm not sure if Fred's dick is named mermaid or maybe. <laughs> uh, both. So this is a little... <laughs> indie RPG that came out fairly recently. It's by Riverhouse Games, who I'm not actually familiar with, and sadly, I can't find the actual designers, um, so I'm not going to tell you that. But I wanted to read the um, 
the like equipment list that you need for this game to play it. Um, just because I think that it tells what the game is the best. Mm-hmm. Um, so it says you'll need a large dildo with a suction cup. The floppier, was... sparklier, and bigger, the better. Okay. A pack of glitter, edible glitter if you can. <laughs> Some of those floppy jelly hand flapper things. One to a person. <laughs> the kind you can loop around a finger and that stick to things. Bananas. Like a bunch of them. A CD of ocean music. Preferably with a night with a smooth jazz backing track. <laughs> And it just gets better from there. I both don't want to play this and want to play this more than anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So to explain, now to explain what this game is about, it's supposed to be kind of about like exploring your sexuality and figuring out kind of what you find interesting or sexy within like a group of people. So it's an interesting game and it's not something I've really seen explored much in RPGs. In fact, RPGs that deal with sexuality and like romance are few and far between. Yeah, they are. Uh, the the first one I can think of was the Blue Rose um, D twenty game. That was that was the first one that was like explicitly like a, a less uh, combative, combati focused D and D setting that came out like sometime <laughs> in the early two thousands. That, that's the first one I can think of, at least. Um, Fred's game really sounds like the. The, the ultimate RPG for like the bachelorette party when they're on the bus on the way to <laughs> the casino or whatnot. You can't play this game on the bus. You gotta get those little flappy hand things around the dildo. Like you're not playing this on a bus. It still sounds like a party game. This does not sound like an RPG. Forgive me for Yeah. I mean I meant party bus. On the party bus. Not like I think it deserves to be actually read before we say whether it's an RPG or not. It's it's interesting. I've just given the the starting point. I mean, I think it it beyond what I've said. I I think it does speak more to an RPG, though. It's not the D and D style of RPG, but you do assume a role and play a game. And I mean, that's pretty close to me. Uh, mm. That's good enough for me. Then there are there are a number of board games that will qualify. All right, sure. I'm, I'm saying if that's your definition. But the board games don't require conversation to play. Mm. Well, some of them do. Yeah, some do. I mean, I, I think I, 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 I like that, that you've added that to your definition, but I think playing a board game without conversation is often not playing a board game correctly because that's kind of part of what they're for, at least in my mind. Well, no, you you can play Sorry or Chess or... Monopoly without saying a word. Yeah, but mm-hmm. you can't play something like Descent or Gloomhaven or something like that with without saying a word. It's, it's impossible because you are. It, 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 it's about coordinating with the other players, and you are playing a role in that game. You are taking on the role of a you know fictional character. Um, I, I I just would like a personally. I like a stronger line between those types of experiences. I I you know I don't know. I think that. I mean, it, I think partly it has to be like porn. You know, you know it when you see it. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I don't mind having a slightly broader definition as long as we go, yeah, this isn't going to apply in all cases, but generally use some common sense and you'll be good to go. Mm-hmm. No matter what position you take on what 
defines an RPG, everyone else around you will want to push your boundary somewhere to yeah, include that's something true. that they think should be included or discluded. Yeah. I just like if that the author calls it an RPG, then that's good enough for me. Yeah, and this is explicitly called an RPG and sold as such. I, I think the biggest issue would be, well, two things. First off, I think that you have to still play a role at some point, or it's not really a role-playing game. Yeah, I think that's, we agree on that. You can argue how you handle the mechanics if you have to roll dice or stuff, but I, if you're not playing a role, I don't think you can really call it a role-playing game. Second. For yours in particular, that one that you were talking about, let these mermaids touch your dick, maybe. I totally checked just now because I have a habit of doing weird internet searches. Mm-hmm. And yes, Bad Draken does have a dolphin dildo. Wow. Well, I'll just have to add that to my collection. Wow. Wow. <laughs> this this is a requirement for this game now. <laughs> Why? I mean, I don't see why you couldn't get whichever kind of dildo you prefer. No, no, want to get a horse dildo. It has to be no. It has to be a dolphin one now. I think I'm. I'm, I think I'm on Caprice's (laughs) side on this. Well, I'll I'll let the designers know. Okay. (laughs) Good. Good, good. (laughs) So, so besides besides the dildo and the glitter, what's uh, what do you what do you find innovative about it? (laughs) Um. Well, I don't necessarily want to use the word innovative i don't know for me that it, novel it can, then novel what well, i mean i understand what you mean yes but um uh i i think mostly just the fact that it is kind of going all right explore these very personal and or at least things that we perceive as very personal and um you know not something to say share but being very open about it and trying to have it be shared and also just the fact that it's a very um, physical action, you know, you're not rolling dice, you're trying to grab a dick with a hand, uh, basically. And um, eating bananas while you play, that's part of the mechanics, is you eat a banana. So... What if you don't like bananas? It's a Yeah, well, that's unfortunate. But it's it's supposed to be, you know, a very physical game and using a lot of those props, like, you know, because bananas remind everybody of the dicks and then you've got the dildo and um... It's, you know, it's, it's not about that, like, sitting down and rolling dice and doing numbers. It's about touching things and talking to your friends about what you find interesting in the sexual realm or romantic realm, I suppose. I'm sorry, Fred, but it, if the eating a banana reminds you of dicks, I'm... No, no one should ever get a blowjob from you ever. You do not bite. <laughs> you don't peel either. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you, you pull back, right? Yeah, you, you got to remove. The, you got to move the foreskin potentially. Yeah, yeah. It, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not blowing into it and making yeah. a little balloon, <laughs> everybody just picture that for a second. There you go. No, no. I don't want to <laughs> test that now. Well, I don't have anything much going on tonight. Wow. <laughs> This is this has gone totally sideways. My first job <laughs> yeah. hosting is yeah working out great. All right, Jonathan, uh, what would you like to talk about that isn't penis related? Uh, pass. Anything? <laughs> 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 
No. Um, so, I mean, if you want me to talk about a game on here, pretty much put it on Drive for the RPG for free and make it short. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, or, so when I saw what the topic was, I was like, hey, I'll see if I could find something. And um, I didn't do a lot of searching, but the one that I came upon is called The House Always Wins. And it's a narrative game um, about a haunted house that kills all the characters in it. And uh, that's the gist of it. And on each player's turn, or one thing that I look for when I, I make my narrative games is randomizing the narrative somehow. Um, and this does that in an interesting way. It has, it's basically uh, draw two cards and one is a, hold on. It's, there's a something card um, and there's an and card. Uh, basically you draw the something and then you draw the end. Uh, and the something cards, so this is the list of the cards. There's uh, something religious, something strange, something useless, something creepy. And each player playing takes four minutes and draws the card. So, like, if you draw something strange, like maybe you, I don't know, uh, or something useless, maybe a fork or something creepy, like you just draw it on there. And that goes into this pile that gets used. Um, And then there's the and cards. And uh, in this case, it could be, so the and cards are just words. Um, and it's catastrophic, moist, pink, uh, moldy, tiny and aggressive, unnecessarily large. I mean, maybe this is more like Fred's game than I thought. <laughs> mildly <laughs> mildly <laughs> inconvenient, covered in. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So I, um, I'm not sure I'd want moldy. <laughs> unnecessarily large. <laughs> I mean, this is a horror, though. So, uh, But anyway, it's, it's, I like that. Uh, so what you do on your turn... To, you you basically draw a something and an end card and you you do a little narrative scene with it and um it's just a different way of randomizing uh and i i like i still like the idea of narrative slash story games having randomizers um because i think it it sort of stretches our our uh, mental muscles a bit when we're we're playing and it, it puts us in positions where we have to sort of think on the spot and you know what would my character do in that situation type of thing instead of creating the narrative that you want your character to to um have uh you have to fit it to the, a situation so so if i'm hearing you right so the game so when you're playing the game and you find your your character in a situation you then draw two cards, and then those, if they're blank, you write something on them, and then they go back into the deck? No. No. Like, at the beginning of the game, everyone draws something, like like with a pencil or pen, draws a picture. And then that becomes the deck. I see. Okay. They have a list to what they're drawing from, but they only really use that as guidance when they're drawing it. Like, they don't title the, the card. They don't say got it like useless you just draw something useless and the person who looks at it makes what they will of it right so Mm -hmm. and then this there's a picture and a a word basically got it um there there's more to the rules than that but that part of the the game 
uh, is what I thought was pretty interesting. Like I say, a randomizing narrative in a specifically narrative game. Yeah, but that's also interesting because it's uh, it's they're they're doing it in a very um, sneaky way because it's player generated as well. So mm-hmm. it, doing it like that is really nice as opposed to having like a you know a, a bunch of charts or something like that to randomize the narrative because the players are going to put into the you know the chart that is the deck of cards like things that are significant or they that have some sort of meaning to them. Um, so if they ever draw their own cards, they're going to be like, ah, this is the this is a creepy thing, but the, but then another player is going to interpret interpret that possibly radically differently. I, that's 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 a pretty interesting way of doing it. I yeah, it, very replayable. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was the game called again? It's called The House Always Wins, and it's uh, on Drive Through RPG, and it's free. Perfect. Lots, all those all those things together make it a good game. Yeah. <laughs> check, 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 check. I don't know. Check check check. <laughs> When you describe that, like the thing that I want to put on every time would be flaming clam spiders. <laughs> yeah, but what would someone else think they are? No, no, that's it's very uh, clear. It's like you, you'd actually since you draw it on the card, you would know exactly what it is. It's a, it's a bunch of spiders with clown masks on fire. <laughs> you're assuming that everybody is going to read that perfectly yeah i thought you said flaming clam spiders i heard no. clam too I, no, yeah no. no you're still thinking about the touch your deck maybe probably yeah. mermaids yes with the clams yeah wow but no the the flaming clam <laughs> spiders is actually a loading ready run video thing about like uh they're planning for like uh Basically, it's uh, devils plotting like people's um, personal hell, and you're supposed to personalize them. And one guy just figured out that every single person is terrified of flaming clown spiders. If they're not, if that's not their greatest fear beforehand, it will be by the time they're done. <laughs> it's like that's not that's not everybody's phobia. It will be. I I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it just seems like they'd burn up pretty quick. Yeah, but that the fact that they're not burning up pretty quick is kind of what makes them scary. Okay, that is scary. Yeah, that sounds like interesting. I'm going to check that out. That sounds that sounds pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, it reads quick. It doesn't seem like it need to be like you don't need like a lot of lists and such. Like a lot of bigger ones like D and D and such. They just cover everything and just describe every option. And then this one's just it's. Basically, just left up to the players. There's no automated stuff. I think it, it gets you into the game too. Like, do this thing to play this game, and it's like you know, draw some pictures for four minutes, and then you know, you know, it's going to be used in the game. So it's like, hey, like you know, welcome to the game. Now you have something in it already. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That sounds like uh, what's that game? Ribbon Drive, which has you make a mix of music before you play the game. Hmm. Yeah, which is pretty cool, and then that actually does influence how the game plays. Hmm. How so? Just the the cadence, or like the, you know, like epic music is good, or lyrics, or what? You you do take you're supposed to take some things from the lyrics um, of some of the songs of a few songs, and mostly it's also just kind of like oh, if the song is playing, you know, you try and follow that theme and. 
it has stuff to do with also when the song ends and changes. But it's mostly just, oh, this is kind of here to put a bit of theming on the um, on the role playing, and just kind of be like, oh yeah, here you got this sad song playing, so be sad for a bit or something like that as a prompt. Kev, hi. Yes. Um, How's it going? Fine. I'm I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had enough time, to, as much time to write this week as I've as I'd like. But that's that's irrelevant to this. The game I'd like to talk about is. <laughs> Kind of contradictory to the style of games and GMing I usually like. It's a, a it's a diceless game called Soth. It centers around a group of cultists who are trying to summon the god Soth, hmm. the dark god Soth. Uh, it's a di- It's I think I said it's diceless. Uh, basically, mm-hmm. it's the it's very GM adversarial. The GM has resources that that gather as you do suspicious things as they determine. What they determine what is suspicious, but there are clear rules as to like what is like there are clear rules as to what that is. But mm-hmm. yeah, and basically you try to summon the god before all your cultists are killed. Hmm. So yeah, it's a it's a it's kind of a competitive thinking game with a large role playing aspect that. Uh, I've only managed to play it once. It was fun. It's hard. It's hard to play. Not in. It's, it's obvious. It's uh, due to how the game works. It's extremely hard to play over the internet. Which hmm. means, yeah. But, why? Why is that? Oh, because it. Because one of the things just was a. Well, there's a few reasons. First off, like a lot of the car, a lot of it involves manipulating, like cards and moving and show, and private information that other people can't read and. Uh, you add the rules actively. Pe- you're supposed to actively penalize players from talking with each other with, like, when they aren't in when the char- when their characters aren't in the same room. Hmm. So, like, it's hard to police that as well. In and just in general, like, it it's just probably would wouldn't flow as well to my mind because, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the page. Uh, Soft game of cultists and invest versus investigators, and you're playing the cultists. Yes, you're playing the cultists. It's by, it's by Steve Hickory Games. It's six ninety nine, I think, right now. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely innovative. It's what um, the thing uh, of the diceless games I've read. It's probably my favorite that I've managed to play, and my second favorite in theory. Hmm. Cool. What what's your favorite in 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 theory? Noblest, but I I'm not sure I understand the rules well enough to run it. So yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. I just really like it. I like it in theory. I like a lot of the ideas it presents. Yeah, but finding a group for it would be yeah. Kevor, I'm noticing a theme. You you you've got gods and cultists showing up very regularly. I don't know. That that's just those you you just got a weird sampling, don't worry. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> okay, I won't I won't think about it. That's what you would say if <laughs> I'm just gonna say that Fred's game probably would count as that as well. I mean that definitely sounds like a Slanesh based game. Mm, yeah, I would have to agree with that. That's like a what Slanesh. game? Slanesh. Oh Dark Prince. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I'm not sure you're trying to summon him, though. No, I think playing that game might do it, just because the glitter and the dildo and the flappy hands that are sticky. 
Yeah, I'm that... pretty sure there's a ritual. If you swap, swap those hands in exactly the right order, you'll get you'll get something. <laughs> or you'll get Bacchus. Or you'll get Bacchus. <laughs> Bacchus might show up. Depends how drunk you are, probably during the game. Is drinking part of it, or could it be part of it instead of instead of the uh, instead of the banana? I <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah, okay, Actually, that'd be interesting. I mean, I guess like if you had a beer bottle, that's still f- relatively phallic. Yeah. Yeah. Or if the drinks were white. Oh, yeah, you could have like a white Russian. I do like a white Russian. Oh, that makes more sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that I think gets the that gets the consistency a little better. <laughs> you could add mayonnaise to the white Russian. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. Jonathan, save us from this. Uh, actually, I think, I think Mark is cap, cap. from this. No, it's not. No, it's Mark's turn. Mark's turn. Mark's yeah, turn. Mark. Go, Mark. Right. Go, oh, Mark. Okay. okay. Uh, quick diversion over here. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah. So yes. Uh, look at me. Look at me. Um, so uh, what I was thinking of doing for my show and tell game uh, was something a little bit more subtle in how it's innovating um and so i wanted to pick Starcrossed, which is um the oh, cool. variant of uh dread um except that well i guess it uses the um uh mechanics behind dread but it's a, a two-player game about uh i guess like forbidden love um the idea is that it uses the same uh uh tension that you feel with the Jenga tower. So in, in Dread, you would have the Jenga tower and uh, it represents how, how close you are to doom or defeat. Uh, every time you take an action, you pull a block, put it on top of the tower, and you keep going until someone causes the tower to fall. And that would be when your character dies a crushing defeat at the hands of whatever horror you're facing. Um, and that works really well for the horror setting. And here in um, Starcrossed, the idea is that... Um, it's a two-player game where the two characters are people who really want to act on their emotions uh, for each other, but they can't. So they're in this situation where um, it might be like, I don't know, a, uh, a priest and the ghost they're trying to exercise. Or the choir boy. Right. And this, well, <laughs> that's... Okay. <laughs> I guess that... Sure. Uh, whatever, whatever kind of roleplay you want to do. Um, but, oh God, I have to continue with this now. Um, I'm just going to be thinking about that essay. Okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah, some, some uh, fantasy uh, where as you're doing... Uh, as you're living your life, as you're going through these motions of uh, interacting with this person, um, every time you build on your relationship, uh, you pull a block from the tower and put it on top again. And that represents how much closer you are to um, acting on your emotions or revealing yourself or um, um, putting yourself in that sort of uh, uh, in the spotlight uh, for the other person's, uh, judgment, I guess. So that's uh, that's the idea behind the game, and it only does a few things that are really separate or unique from Dread, the game that it's building on. But I think they're um, 
the ability to take the setting from dread and or i guess the the emotions that you would feel in dread and convert them to a completely different system i thought was really um exciting really fascinating how how you could do that um and little tiny details of when you're talking to the other player, you have to have one hand on the tower. Um, they're really subtle changes that I think it, they've added to the system that just help to uh, tune the uh, sensations that you get when you're playing the game. And I think it's really powerful. So uh, well, it's kind of a clever hearing. concept. I mean, like uh, whether it's you know, a tension that's built through horror or sexual tension, it's basically the same thing. You can interchange back and forth between the two. Like, if you do it in, like, writing or movies, like, you see it really often in horror movies where they'll usually have, like, some sexual tension and then it turns into tension of another kind. Like, that's... You can swap between the two almost one for one with very little effort, so it makes a lot of sense. And I and I like the Jenga tower tower mechanic. I mean, just, I just always have liked that mechanic. I, I considered uh, I I had a, some ideas for for another game using it, but uh, it it never really panned out that well. But I I like I like the the introduction of uh, of tension by mechanic, you know. And I I was trying to mechanize it a little bit more, which is probably why it didn't work by putting numbers on the on the Jenga pieces and having those correspond to certain things like you could you could do a thing and you could move a, a one or a three or, or you could move a you know a four or you know something like that and so you could systematize it a little bit more and like make it make certain moves more dangerous for players and stuff like that so my problem was oh let me just let me just get through this my problem was though is the way i mechanized it like the tower would fall way too fast and like a lot of the game was just picking the tower back up <laughs> in in the uh, Jenga Tower game, whatever analogy, I like the game to be over at the the fall of the tower. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that works well. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's what you're trying to do. It sounds like it wasn't. Yeah, it was not. It was yeah. not. the 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 falling tower was a signal for something happening in game, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It didn't signal the end of it. Yeah. Right. So Yeah. I'm not right. saying you couldn't make it work, but right. yeah, it's just... I couldn't. <laughs> well, I think one of the biggest problems with the Jenga Tower is that it definitely becomes very meta-ish. Like, some players will be better at stacking the tower than others. Sure. And that is... It's a little too meta-powerful for me because it doesn't really relate in-game. It's like... Mm. You're feeling more of a disconnect between the narrative... Yeah. Like people rolling dice, it is kind of random. There's not really too many people that can roll a dice a particular way. Like there's people who can stack decks of cards, but sure. rolling a die so that it lands on the number you want is actually pretty tricky to do. So it has that random factor to it. So I, I'm not sure I really care for the Jenga Tower thing for the most part, though it would make sense for Fred's game because the more you touch it, the bigger it gets. <laughs> nice. Why do you have to... Why? Why? <laughs> it's why? A, 
he brought this crap up, I'm gonna keep referring to this like the entire the entire time. Like, all night. This is your fault. You started yeah. this. Yeah, Fred. This is your fault. Fucking Fred. I'm, I'm sorry that all I said was dicks, and you're just like, all right, well now I got dicks. Oh, you have a game with a dildo as a mechanic. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you, you put in you've put an indelible stain on this entire episode. No, I think you just set an excellent tone. <laughs> we're gonna go there. We're gonna go there all the way. Um, something you, that came to mind when you you mentioned uh, um, taking a mechanic and and making a new game. It's something that I I kind of I really don't like the term hack. Um, it's sort of for me personally though. I find it derogatory uh, because I find that what usually comes out of it is something new and un I'm not sure what the right term is. Just it's new though. Um it's it's not as derivative as hack makes it sound. Is that, is that exactly yeah yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know there's lines to potentially be drawn there, but I just I wouldn't be upset for someone not referring to their game as a hack, even if it was very similar. Mm. Well you have to understand what a hack is. Well, like the concept of hack, like any kid that makes a paper airplane has hacked that piece of paper. Uh, Hacking is the process of changing it to do something different. Yes. Giving, giving a thing purpose that it originally was not intended for. Well, is that what hack means though? Well, you have like life hacks, even computer hacking. Like you can't hack something unless there's something to hack. Well, I feel like computer hacking is specifically not what it's not about making something. I, better. I know it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. Anyway, I just it was curious. I, I'm no, that's a good point though. Like so, yeah. Hmm. I mean, if you oh, sorry, I I have a, a kind of pedantic point about the definition of hack do it okay um so hack comes out of and i I, this is a little this might be a little sorry um but the the general meaning is right um hack comes out of uh harvard back in the i'm gonna i think like the 70s um there was a a bunch of students who were working with computers and they at one point they and were the people who termed who termed the coin or coined the term um, hacking, and um, they meant it to mean when you take a piece of software and use it to do something that it's not meant to do. That doesn't break the definition that I posed. No, I was I was supporting your definition. Yeah, that's almost was... word for word the same. <laughs> uh, I was supporting your definition with that, at, mm-hmm. at least in terms of the historical definition of hack and the way that I think about hacking is uh, under that, and that's where that comes from. And even in engineering spheres, that's how it's defined. So yeah, but I see Jonathan's point too, because like a lot of games that will claim to be hacks of a system end up being. Well, I mean, because there's just there's just the ninety ten principle. Like ten percent of it's going to be great, and then ninety percent of it's going to be pretty terrible. And you know, we see 
that 90% just bubbles up to the surface, like quite a bit. Like, so if somebody's like, Oh, I've got a, uh, uh, powered by the apocalypse hack, but it's, I don't know, um, elves in a jungle somewhere. And it's basically very, very similar to something we've already seen, but, but with a small twist on it and it doesn't feel like it's, um, it doesn't yeah, just feel like it's a hack. Doesn't mean it's a good hack. Well, yeah, it's not. But it's not even. It's not even repurposing the thing to do a new thing that much. It's. 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 It's more like it's reskinning it. Then. Well, it's just doing something that it wasn't meant to do. It doesn't necessarily mean a new thing. Um. Yeah, but even then, it's. It's not like it's. It's you still have like the same move set, you know. But it, it's reskinned. But it, they call it a hack. So like the, the all the actions are the same. So it's not like you're making the system do actually anything different it's just yeah i guess i'm i'm a little off like i i I can see like i'll concede that the definitions are good like i'm off but the term hack in so many cases for rpgs is like a derogatory yeah or bad connotation yeah 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 so i i i i'm gonna be a little broad here but i think that that is an an issue with how people see art um, in that, like if you see something where someone has copied something that somebody else did or did something very similar to something somebody else did, someone will say that they stole it and think that that decreases the value of that thing. Um, I don't agree with that, uh, but that is my perception of, I think where that might come from. Yeah. Yeah. It was very gatekeepy. <laughs> yeah. What, what what's the what's the saying about artists like good artists good artists copy great artists great. steal yeah i yeah. said that <laughs> okay rob <laughs> uh something i'd like to point out about all the games that we've just discussed mhm and i'm doing this for 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 the benefit of <clears throat> new designers that may be listening okay none of the games that we discussed in this round of what we find innovative and novel pivots on their core randomization mechanic. Except yours. Um, Mine was was because what the mechanics were and how they suited the setting. Mm -hmm. But my point is that none of the innovation and novelty we've been discussing is solely about a a, a randomness mechanic. That's true. It's That's true. always with in tandem with something else, if not the something else entirely. Yeah. Well, yeah, because if you change your core randomness mechanic, that changes a lot about what the rest of the game is. Like, I mean, I know that the the game I brought up, the Mermaids game, is a little extreme, but you know, you that game wouldn't be the same if you rolled a d twenty, and you can't play like. D and D by flapping little uh, rubber hands at a dildo. Oh, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure, sure you can. <laughs> <laughs> what advantage you get to use two? Within the realm of dice as a randomness tool, my my point is the identity of a game is not the die mechanic. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think around the die mechanic, but yet so many inexperienced designers obsess and slaver and 
and and concentrate on making a unique die mechanic when it doesn't really make that much difference. Find yeah. one you like and understand and move on to making your game. Yeah. I mean, I did that exact thing. So I, I will speak from experience and say, yeah, don't do that. It is do do the intent, put together the intent of the game first and then to put together your die mechanic to fulfill that intent, not the other way around. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. Um, though I I don't think that being like, oh yeah, I know this die mechanic or use it. I yeah, doing what Rob said is the best way to go, um, and not just going, ah, I know how this works. So I'm gonna go with it. Um, no, make sure it it is applicable to what you're trying to do. Like, just there's you can have like a new me- die mechanic, but most of the time you don't need to. Yeah, and and it's going to be more complicated than existing ones as well. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go, is that so many of these die mechanics are like, well, it's super, super accurate, and it's got this amazing, like, bell curve that I like so much, and it's like, yeah, but there's 37 steps to see whether you hit or not. Whereas something like Genesis is way more interesting because you get five or six different pieces of information out of each role. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the FFG one, right? Yeah. Not, yeah. The, that new one. I have critiques about that. <laughs> no, I just, I just, I think that's a prime example of the dice. Basically not like it's, it's fancy dice for no reason. Because I've played an extended, like a very long-running Star Wars game, and the dice are, were jet, were and it were a huge impediment, I would say, more than anything else. I I think not from personal experience, but just from hearing what people say, I think that those are a very, um, like personal thing. They're very subjective. Um, mm-hmm. Like, there's a few people I've met who go, oh, there! this is the best thing ever. I'm never doing anything else with dice ever again. Like, this is the one thing I want to do. This is great. And then, but there's also a large amount of people who will say what Rob said, which is, this just impedes the game and isn't great. Um, Or to this, you know, often they say, yeah, it's kind of interesting, but really in the end it gets in the way. Yeah. And and the rest of the system is not that good that's built around it either. Keep in mind... That's going to be true of anything. doesn't matter if it's die mechanic or whatever. There's always going to be a small subset of people that will enjoy anything. There are people that enjoy torture, being tortured. Like No matter what you do, someone's going to enjoy it regardless of how bad it is. That's a very optimistic outlook. <laughs> yeah, and well, and also I was saying it's a very clear split. Like, I tend to hear... The t- those two yeah. opinions rather than like kind of a middling one or everybody saying one thing or, you know, a majority of people saying one thing and it's a pretty even, you know, around 50-50. Um, mm-hmm. Regardless how of how anyone perceives the gameplay that comes out of Genesis and its dice mechanic, the mm-hmm. intent of it was to make the dice more narratively informative. Yeah. It's... Yeah. And and not only do they not do that, but they, 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 they could have done that. They could have achieved their goal without the special dice. And the special dice just served as a one extra barrier to play for people that want to try the game. 
especially since one brick of those dice does, isn't enough to actually play. Yeah, one is not enough to play, and they're not cheap. I mean, isn't there a phone app? There is a phone app, yeah, which is better, but not as fun because you're not. Yeah, you're, you're not. not it's, dice. it's fun. It's fun to roll dice, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to um, talk about a, a game that I think is pretty interesting and innovative. Go for it. Um, okay, sure. Go ahead. Uh, so the one I'm, I was thinking of, and I, it didn't occur to me until, um, I mean, just a couple of minutes ago, but one I read recently um, that I thought was pretty interesting was uh, Bluebeard's Bride. Oh, cool. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, which that's was a, cool uh, a yeah. Powered by the Apocalypse game. I mean, there's a couple of reasons I like it. Um, the and one of the reasons is not it's powered by the apocalypse um the the couple of things first off right away like the layout and art of the book is fucking phenomenal um i've got a pdf of it but i would happily buy a hard copy of this if i could find one the style is somewhat innovative for an rpg and that it's it's um sort of like this this interesting gothic Victorian line work type thing that's very evocative of of the era in which the game is played, and I I just really appreciate when aesthetics line up in a, in a game. But the interesting part about it is all the players are playing aspects of one character. So in the game, you are the new wife of uh, Bluebeard, the pirate, who has this, you know mysterious past of being married a lot and his wife's going missing and you're the bride and you are left alone in this cavernous mansion and told not to go in the attic and you're the whole game centers around the bride interacting with the house and the um the denizens of the house the the care like groundskeepers and servants and stuff like that and, but the players are playing aspects of the bride's psyche. And so the players are all controlling one character by different means and with different motives, which is psychologically, I think, really cool and actually true as well. Like that, that is how personalities work. You do have aspects of your personality that will take over in certain situations and, 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 for you know purely biological reasons like the fight or flight one will just take over and and run you for a minute while you either get away from the thing or fight the thing off um but they also encompass like other um psychological archetypes so one that um is forceful one that uses uh the bride's sexuality to get her way um one that is the mother uh instinct um and one that is the sort of like the enchantress, what do they call it? The witch, something like that. Um, and then I think there's one more, but I can't remember, I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, virgin, the virgin. How is this different from everyone is John? Uh, I'm not sure that it is that different. Uh, I've, I, I've not read everyone is John. That sounds um, pretty different. But so, and then it's also it's also a short play game. So the, the idea is that you're done in uh, I think it's three to four hours, and the bride will always will always uh, finish the game by going into the attic and discovering that that uh, all the other wives are in there completely murdered, and that then Bluebeard comes home and says, "Hey, I, you did the one thing I told you not to do," 
now it's your turn. Of course. And that's, that's the end of the game. Um, but so I, I found it interesting for, for all of those reasons. The, the players take on roles in, of, of a psyche of one person and there's uh, uh, an ending that you know is coming and it's really about the looming horror of that moment. The players know what the bride doesn't know. Uh, I, I think it's a pretty cool game worth checking out. Um, and the mechanics are very, I mean, are, if you know Powered by the Apocalypse, it, that's what it is. It's roll 2d6 and... Um, add them up. At, yeah, add them up. And that's, and that's pretty much chart. it. Check chart. It's not really a chart. I don't think there's much of a chart in this one. Well, I've, I've called that, well, is it, I mean, I assume it's a 10 plus, 7 to 9, 6 minus, uh, right? I actually don't remember. Okay. Uh, probably is. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the standard Powered by the Apocalypse setup. Yeah, yeah. With maybe twelve pluses thrown in, right? Yeah, I just want to mention that as soon as you started talking about this, I was immediately thinking of that Inside Out movie. Oh yes, with the yeah, with the psyche in the in the head control. Uh, what do you call it? <laughs> the sort of like air traffic so, controller of of the head thing, having the different personalities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought about that too, but for for game context, I went to everyone is John because that's the premise of that as well. Playing part of one person. Right. Yeah. But that's like specifically a whole personality of that person, because one of the setups of everyone is John is that John has multiple personalities and is insane. So he's not very good at things, but yeah, (laughs) So he's not very good at things, except a few things that he's rather good at. Or like he's okay thing. at a few things. It depends yeah. on which personality is in control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, from playing everyone as John and hearing of Bluebeard's Bride, uh, was it One Shot? Did an actual play of it a few years mm-hmm. ago. And honestly, I must have checked out during that actual play because I did not remember that you were all playing one aspect of the Bride. Mm. And I'm really there, mad at myself for that. A, there was an old version of it that what I think this might be misremembering, but I think there's a two player ver- the two player variant where one player is the gem and one player is the bride. Yes. Well, but this was oh okay, this was like an ensemble cast. Oh. You know, they had multiple players. Oh, okay. Anyway, I, I was I I I think so. But anyway, I'm I'm angry at myself because I've been considering moving my game towards something kind of like that, like controlling parts of a person's personality mm-hmm. or yeah. And, um, and I, I, I knew what Bluebeard's Bride was. Um, I knew of the general seat, except that I had completely forgotten about the control parts of a person. So I'm going to have to go read that. <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah, it's cool, man. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a worthwhile read. You know, and it, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I dig it. it, yeah, and, it and, and it's outside my wheelhouse, my normal, like the normal kind of stuff I go for. It certainly does sound like outside. Well, and it's also supposed to be, as as I understand it, like kind of a, a look into female gender stereotypes mm-hmm. and uh, repression of sexuality and uh, that yeah. kind of yeah, I really enjoy how misogynistic it is, particularly. <laughs> yeah, someone's kind of bugging me that at the end you have to go into the attic. It's like this sounds like it's 
like really just at the most basic of descriptions at the start. It's like this should be really obvious that going into the attic is probably going to be what gets you. Yeah, it is. It is. It's like, how does she not realize this at this point? Like, how do you wind up having to go into the attic by the end of the game? Well, it's like, well, thing- you run out of other things to do when you're like, I'm bored. I'm, I'm stuck here with nobody. I'm sure, it will, I'm sure it won't cause any problems. Yeah, and you're mm-hmm. playing to find out. That is, that is the game, right? So yeah, you, you are playing. You, you know the. It, it's a unique game in that you like. You know the outcome, like beforehand like it's kind of interesting yeah knowing the ending does not spoil the story especially in a in a role-playing aspect where yeah i mean you're playing through a fairy tale right so you're playing through an iteration of a fairy tale that's the whole that's the whole thing so like the fairy tale always ends the same way you know so that it it's 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 tropey in its own way yes honestly i do almost anything other than going I'd burn the house down first. Mm-hmm. I, but then you'd, you'd have to you'd have to get the other all the other players, even the ones that are not being. So the other players have different motivations. So one part of her psyche may want to burn the house down. I but, would murder the other players. <laughs> you can't. They're in your head. <laughs> oh yes, you players. can. <laughs> you can oh, the other players, not the characters. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> they might be in your head too. Yeah. Not by the Just end don't. of this thing. Do not play role-playing games with Patrice. No, yeah. I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's what I'm getting from this. <laughs> the, the, thing that I, the thing that I get from it and from previous talks with Kat is don't tell Kat what she can, can and can't do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think sure. that that's, <laughs> that's a big part of it. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, because as soon as you you say, this is the ending, she goes, no, it's not. No, it's not. (laughs) Fuck off. Or, here, can you please do this? No. No. This is how you have to play my game. No. I'm going to do it differently. I refuse. (laughs) I think think it's great. If you ask nicely, that's fine. If it's like, you must do this. Okay, admittedly, I have a lot of rejection on that. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not... um, sort of like uh that i mean that's something that a lot of players hold really dear right if you Mm -hmm. say in a lot of rpgs if there's like a you must do this or this is how it goes players will just write that game off not all players but there's a group of players that will be like nope not for me it depends on what the decree is yeah and it depends well i mean like there everybody's nobody's gonna go Get on your case if the thing you're if the thing you say you have to do is the dice mechanic. Like there are some things that they'll go with, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting to see where people don't like their agency to be taken from them, and where they're fine with it being taken from them. Um, and that's I think part of the like part of making a novel game is kind of playing with that. Like Rob said, where or the Bluebeard's Bride the Bluebeard's Bride game that Rob was talking about, where the end is always known, um, which is a change-up on a lot of other role-playing games and something that makes it novel and unique. Along it's, with... it's, uh, it's, it's interesting in that the ending is known to all parties. Usually in an RPG, the ending's kind of known to the GM, more it's or less. A... Uh, the issue is... <laughs> I think... I mean... 
the, in, in a, let's say in a traditional, like in a game where you're running a module or like an, a, a pre-written adventure, it's 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 the kind of thing. Not not in the more narrative and story building type games, but like uh, in, for, uh, even like in games that are supposed to be like, uh, yeah, I um, I've thrown out large parts of modules if I was starting things, but I'm not a module person. I don't play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I mine them for bits sometimes if in certain systems. Mm-hmm. No, so I, I think the biggest issue there is that it's like it's okay if the ending is set like everybody dies okay that's fine it's that a decision has been set that's taken agency away it's like saying anything you do will lead to this situation I'm okay with when it's like you must make this decision regardless of what you want to do when it's when you're stripping the choice from a player, that actually bothers me a lot. Like, it defeats the purpose of a game. It's when you present the inevitable as something other than a choice. Players see that Im- immediately. Yeah, like, I actually rage quit the Stanley Parable of all things. Because <laughs> it was like, it <laughs> locked me in the room. And I was like, and then he went into the next room. And it's like, no. Oh, I yes. Just I dicked that. around in there and it was like, it starts like flickering the lights, throwing lightning around, and eventually it's just like, yeah, you're just going to go into the next room because I'm not going to narrate anymore and nothing else is going to happen. You have to go into the next room to complete the game. And I alt f the game and uninstalled it and said, fuck you. <laughs> well, I think... Um... <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jonathan. <laughs> well, I think that um, we, you know, the the big games, sandbox games, they, they're sort of like they have a broad definition of what the games are. And when we make shorter games, one-shot style games, um, or more ref, uh, defined games, it's important to say what the game part of everything is, um, as in it's the game to to play to the point where you open the door. Right. Uh, that's the game part. You, you know, the ending is just the end. It's not part of, it's it's not quite the same thing as playing the game. Yeah, but I think you, I, well, I think you handled that in a particularly good way in, in your, because the outcome it, in, well, it's not actually a known in Cut to the Chase. It's like, it's, the, you're almost guaranteed to have a clash at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, it feels way more open than that interestingly i can't i actually i'm actually having trouble figuring out why at this very moment i think Um, because hmm. it the well part of it is the outcome of a chase is already pretty defined i mean yeah the 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 possible outcomes is pretty limited so in that case you're not expecting much But, 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 but you have choices that are made for either side like at any given turn you Mm -hmm. normally have a choice of what you can do i i don't so much like the concept that sometimes one player can make a choice that the other player runs out of choice they have to select a particular thing but overall as long as you're able to pick what goes on at least narratively at the very least like okay if you do X, I have to do Y, but I at least get to say how I do Y. There's still, you know, some player agency in there. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And and I guess like I said, the the when we define games like saying what the game is, what the game part is that you're playing is sort of important. And to jump back to the um the game that um I can't even think oh the house always wins that I introduced. The house kills the people, but the people the characters get to choose when like you can't the only person who can say you die is you type of thing so that kind of plays to more about what you're talking about cat where it's like you have to die but you get to say you know how and when yeah Um, you get some choice in the matter like if you don't have agency in a game it's not really a game saying how the game ends is different than not having yeah any. if it if all agencies removed then it's a novel yeah it's not yeah mm-hmm. yeah there has to be some agency at least narrative agency well but the, in the context of the discussion we're having which is about this ending section of bluebeard's bride or just consigning the ending of a game to be at a certain point or be a certain thing um that is you still have pretty much total agency outside of that and have some agency narratively after that, although pretty minimal because, you know, you're going to get stabbed and die or shot, whatever. Um, but at the, you know, but at the same time, the rest of the game, you have full agency, you know, within the context of battling with other players for dominance and the rest of the mechanics. Yeah, and, and I believe you do actually get to narrate how you how you go in in Bluebeard's Bride. Like, what exactly? What 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 gruesome end the bride meets? One thing I keep thinking about the Bluebeard's Bride thing, though, is that it is very very reminiscent of the whole original sin and Christianity thing. Like, basically, this is the one thing I told you not to do, and of course, the woman is the one who goes and does the one thing she was told right. not to do. That's almost certainly intentional. Yeah, yeah. yeah it probably well, is. Regardless of, regardless of the perceived gender ramifications, that is a... In the, at the end, that's just a narrative device. It's no different than, you know, telling a kid not to get in the cookie jar. Yeah, and yeah, you know, it's, it's the original well. Sci- I mean, sci- psychologically speaking, it it works better in as something in Bluebeard's Bride because it, 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 so the Bluebeard's Bride is definitely um, includes uh, a take on Jungian psychology, um, and in in Jungian archetypes, um, the feminine is the and not females, but the feminine as an archetype is roughly associated with. Uh, chaos like the unknown and stuff like that and so that's that's usually why in in old stories it's it's a female character that brings in some unknown element um so so in in bluebeard's in bluebeard's bride the 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 thematic nature of the story um jives with the union psychology aspect Hmm. so there thus we see the uh, archetype of the witch and the fatal and the virgin and the mother so it's all sort of blended together in this in this sort of um dissection of the feminine as you know within a game 
or mm-hmm. or it's a game about how bitches just won't listen to you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the patriarchal authority of women will not do right. what they're told eventually. And I was being facetious there for anybody listening. I don't actually believe that. <laughs> Goddamn, Goddamn bitches. bitches. Don't mm-hmm. do as they told. Bitches be tripping. Because <sighs> the snake talked to Eve first. Mm-hmm. Or that's so. just the story she told. Again, not what I actually meant. <laughs> so she screwed over the snakes, too. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> yep totally uh totally you know what are they gonna say run them under the i gave run them under the bus and i'm like that's not right run them under the bus <laughs> i mean i it, that still sort of reads tracks, i know what you yeah. mean barely yeah um Except yeah. that snakes don't have legs and they don't run. But anyway, well, that, like that, that at the time they would have. Keep in mind that was the punishment for the snakes Losing was to the remove legs, their legs. Yeah. You know, crawl on yeah. his belly and eat dust. Wait, so what kind of legs did the snake Lizard. have? Like centipede, no. or was it like Lizard human legs, leg? Lizard legs. So what is the church's position then on the? The remaining legged snakes, like there are, there are reptiles that look like snakes. But Get them out of Ireland. Just keep them out of Ireland. And good. <laughs> the, the stranger part, I think, is that when you think about that entire story, it's like, wait, there were no actual snakes in it. Like, <laughs> this was just a guy basically dressed up in a snake suit, more or less. And there weren't any this... apples either, but. Well, yeah, but I mean, in the concept of the the snake was supposed to be just, you know, Lucifer, Satan, whatever. And Not until like, later. He, he was, yeah, but then it was like, wait, you're punishing the snake who wasn't even present and did nothing wrong. Well, he, he, he lied to Eve about the consequences. But yes, that wasn't Allegedly. the snake. That wasn't the snake, though. That was a guy dressed up as a snake. A guy dressed up as a snake. Well, okay. So... Wait, wait, you have added something here. No, it, uh, her point is that in the current version, uh, basically, like the giant version, uh, the snake was Lucifer. So, and then the yeah. snakes got blamed for what Lucifer did. Well, he was well, he was appearing as a snake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is totally unfair. And it's like, if you're supposed to be an omnipotent god, would an omniscient, wouldn't you have noticed this? I mean, it's written down in your own book. Like, at what point do you go? Oh, okay. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, wait, maybe wait. I should. Maybe I should reverse that. Wait. Okay. I. I don't think we want to get into religion. I mean. I know, cool but it's it, like but... it's it's a plot hole. Come on, it, it's oh. a really glaring plot hole. I mean, yeah, but that's kind of funny to point out in the Bible. I don't think they care. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's the Bible was a few. I know they not don't care, but this is one. the kind of thing that bugs well, me. Yeah, it's but like, it's not. It's not a description of a thing that happened. It's a. It's a mythology. Yeah, mythologies have plot holes in them all the time. It, it's that's just almost part and parcel of them. It's just magic, dude. Don't well, worry. It's not about magic. It. It's they're they're psychological. They're they're attempting to understand something about how humans operate, and humans are not fucking rational 
Oh, which I'm <laughs> totally fine with. You can use that as a metaphor. It's not necessarily a bad idea. Like you can say, like, you know, a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. But it's like, if you're going to say, be one of the people that takes every part of it literally as literal fact, it's like... There's no helping you at that point. It just doesn't. It doesn't yeah, work. Yeah, it doesn't work because it's not supposed to. And if you take it as literal fact, you you are grossly misreading it. Anyway. All right, listen, I'm going with Nietzsche. God is dead. Continue. And there will be not enough water to wash away the blood is the rest of that quote. You're oh, welcome. thanks. Yep. <laughs> Actually, you, you, missed you, and we, you missed and we killed him. Yep. Well, that, 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 that is the point. Yeah. That we killed him. Anywho. Uh, anyway. Games are um, fun. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed them. I'm not sure all of the ones I like to play are fun, but you don't you know, like, to play, you like to play not fun games? I like to play games that, that are not traditional. So some of the games I enjoy, I enjoy are not about the aspects that are traditionally fun. Yes. Yeah, okay, wait. I've gotten to this argument before, and I first off, I agree with Kevwar um, wholeheartedly, but I, I, I do have to say that this is using a more strict definition of fun than some of you may be. Um, and it's, yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry too much about it. <laughs> it's, it, like, when I use it, it's like contrasting like the uncomfort you get from horror um, with the kind of like joyousness you get from watching an action mm-hmm. movie or something, like um, I, I'm sorry, but I I almost lost a friend over this argument. Like it's it's bad. It's not a good way to go. So I I'm down with the broad definitions of fun. I just think fun has too much baggage to it. Like that, just that word. Yeah, we don't differentiate enough. Like I'm, I'm more, yeah, I'm more comfortable operating around something like enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, is it like fun as as a in comparison to happy? That's I think that's sort of where people. Uh, like, I mean, like, yeah, it's kind of kind of like kind of the same differentiation between funny and funny, haha. Right, right, like, right. Not every funny is funny, haha. But yeah. what it is here is like there are some some of my favorite moments are like this is genuinely uncomfortable. Yeah, oh, well. right. <laughs> it's a it's a great story. It's compelling. Yeah. I don't think I could. I don't think I'd call this a fun experience, but it's thoroughly interesting but as well. I'm glad like, it yeah, happened. There's, there's, there's different like um, <laughs> there's a board game. I haven't played it. I, I, I'm, I don't know anybody who has it, so I don't know what I'm going to get to play. But it's called uh, "This War of Mine," and oh. and it's oh, I like on that computer video game. game. Yeah, so the board game yeah. is apparently way, yeah, yeah, yeah. way deeper and way gnarlier. Like their board game. <laughs> I don't know if anybody, if any of you guys know who Tom Vassell is of the Dice Tower, or if you pay attention to him. But he he mm-hmm. played it once, and he's like, "Yeah, it was really fun. I never want to play it again." <laughs> it was that sort of thing. It was like I, I, somebody called it the board game equivalent of watching Schindler's List. Yeah, the nice. the video game at least like I've offered to get it to people. Usually, the way I describe it is, "Do you want to be depressed?" Mm-hmm. And they're like, "No, 
then I'm not getting right. you this game. Right. <laughs> you know, the... because it's amazing. <laughs> if we're if we're talking about this, the the one that I have used and have talked about before is Spec Ops: The Line, which works really well for this. Which is that game is not fun. Um, there's very little about that game I would call mm. fun, but it's it's really good, and it's something that is very much worth playing and worth doing, and it's very interesting, but it's not fun. Interesting. Um, I, I I haven't I haven't heard of it before now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna check okay. it out. You definitely should. It's um it's very much inspired by Heart of Darkness. Oh, cool. If yeah, yeah. I, I have read, read that. that. Yeah. Wow. So keep that in mind. Oh, it's like thirty bucks, though. I don't know. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll wait for a sale. But... I'll go on my wish list. Check it out then. <laughs> that's yeah. that's a Steam Summer Sale, man. This shit is dangerous. Oh man, dangerous. <laughs> oh god, don't I don't even talk about it. I don't want. I don't want to want to talk about it. I, I I can't buy video games anymore. Like I just I have too many that mm-hmm. I want to play. It's it's a problem, and I don't have time to play video games much anymore. Yeah, I know it's sad, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not good. Yeah, I've almost had to give up on concept of like. Just watching TV. Okay, yeah, I've seen the Spec Ops the Line thing. I was watching somebody play through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I thought it was that one. Yeah, I don't know if you're if you're into video games, it's real good. And then once you play Spec Ops the Line, you Nurture Club, um, which once you have a very intimate knowledge of visual novels, will incredibly impress you on its level of commentary and hmm. cleverness. What was it called again? But uh Doki Doki Literature Club. Oh yeah, you talked about that before. I think yeah, I think I've brought yeah. it up before. I've had um, so many people recommend it and it's like maybe but I I'm sure it's good, but I don't think I actually want to play that. It's free and takes two hours, um, but we shouldn't be talking about video games. Sorry. Uh, no, they they are definitely related to like tabletop role playing games. Like, there's a lot of stuff that you can take from one and transfer over to the other. Like, if we're talking about game but design, not game as design much as most people think. I'd actually say more than most people think. Here we go, y'all. Round one. It's. Uh, <laughs> I think it's more that the, the, there are things that people think that they can take that transfer over that don't, and then there are things that people think don't transfer over that do. Yeah, uh, yeah like the only real example I can think of right off the top of my head is that is everybody trying to, is all the different well, actually I can think of two now. Uh, there's like the million different attempts at writing a persona uh, Persona video, uh, Persona role playing game because uh, Persona is a game, is a game about emotions and monsters. So, it, it's a neat series. So everybody wants to play it, but the way it's presented is, does not transfer well into an RPG. And then there's the uh, the other one is I played a game that was literal a role playing game version of Fire Emblem where they didn't change very much at all, and that was terrible. Mm. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think the biggest thing that people mess up when they try to convert from one to the other is they lose track of the strengths and weaknesses of the two media. Like, the biggest advantage you have in uh, just a tabletop setting is you have a human mind there that can make up stuff on the fly. Like you have a GM or players, or even if you have a distributed GM, the point is you have the ability to come up with literally anything that you could possibly imagine, and you can do it. And if you try to restrict it so, no, you can only do these very, very limited things, then it's like you're missing the point of why you have a GM. Like if you narrow it down so that your actions are only what you could do in a video game, just make a video game. There's no point in making like a tabletop. Same thing is like if you're going to make a video game that tries to do like extremely open-ended stuff, you kind of can't do it to nearly the same capacity as like a tabletop game can. It's not going to, you're just going to wind up with something that feels half-assed basically. We're waiting for video games to implement AI so that they can do things more like what the human mind is capable of. Like Elder Scrolls 7 will have enough AI on it that you'll actually be able to have a legitimate conversation with a guard. That would be cool. And then they will take what you've said to that guard and sell it to an advertising company. Uh, hey, we're talking about Bethesda here, yeah. not EA. Uh, and then you'll, then you'll get an ad for Coke in the yep. next scene. Yep, yep, absolutely will happen. <laughs> absolutely. But well, actually, actually, an interesting thing that um, uh, to to dovetail into what Cat was saying, uh, one of the mistakes I I see, I've seen a few times um, on both on the um, the subreddit and uh, just in real life, the video game tabletop transition is people attempt to take. Uh, video game math and alter it very little for the tabletop and then oh randomize God, it. And no, it's yes, like, I... oh, bro, that was the, that's such a bad move. Don't, no, you had a whole computer doing it. And now you want, you want to offload that to players. And it's like, here's a bunch of percentages and modifiers of that percentages. No. And here's how you add them together to get your damage or multiply them together to get your damage. And you just like, well, no, yeah. I'm which brings us back to Shadowrun, does it? God damn it. No, not even not even Shadowrun does it that badly. Shadowrun you can still do as as a player. It it sucks, but you can still do it. Like even Shadowrun has crossed that line of reasonable. Here's what's funny about Shadowrun particularly, that the computer game, <clears throat> the uh Shadowrun Returns computer game, which I would strongly recommend because it's a it's a really good like if you like ice, like old school, like isomorphic action RPGs along the lines of, uh, if you liked XCOM, it's a it'll you'll dig it. Um, but you run a party, and the mechanics are better than the Shadowrun tabletop game. Like they're it they're better, and they would work in a tabletop setting. Like they would translate directly. And you know why that is? And this is really hilarious. They did the mechanics as a tabletop game initially, and then translated them into the computer game but they tested it 
as a tabletop game. So they designed an entirely new fork of Shadowrun um, and mm-hmm. then just left it as a computer game. And like, I have like three friends that are all in unanimous agreement that say, man, we would totally play Shadowrun like at the drop of a hat if they were using the mechanics in Shadowrun Returns as the dice. Because it's a percentage system. It's It's a fairly simple, it would be a fairly simple percentile system, but the game is mechanically deeper than Shadowrun in clever ways and it's it's kind of a shame that we don't have it as a playable rpg unfortunately not all video games translate over well just because you use uh like tabletop mechanics like there was a lot of games that were late 90s where they were using like second edition D&D roles and it's like D&D yeah, before even that, though, like, third edition was a little better, but second edition was basically built under the assumption that you pretty much needed to have a GM, uh, yeah. your your GM to fudge the dice and change how things worked because it was not really playable well, by default. I don't know if you can say that, but you, I, you, do, you did need a GM making rulings because there were enough corner cases that... Yeah, you did. It, it was specifically left up to the GM a lot of times, like what would happen. But and and you're you're absolutely right in that third edition was created to remove that thing from the game. That's something that I remember reading an article about where they were like, <clears throat> because it used to be that the GM would adjudicate if the rogue was able to get backstab or not. And in third edition, they changed. They added the flanking mechanic, which is just like if the character is on the other side of the enemy from another character then they are considered a backstab or sneak attack as they called it and it that was yeah they needed to have some standardizing right. method of it because you could have a gm that's kind of a dick and oh your rogue is pretty much useless but yeah there was there was a lot of games at the time that did not take that into account um i didn't care for Baldur's Gate because of that, but I like Planescape Torment and for a lot of reasons that it was just better in general, but in particular it was it did not follow the mechanics blindly. Like you actually had health regeneration on your main character because it wasn't a very fun game otherwise. Like D&D 2nd edition was not built like later editions where Later editions, you can just fight enemy after enemy after enemy. You just basically wear yourself down over time. But second edition wasn't really all that good at that. But that's basically what you could do with computer games at the time. You could basically fight things. You couldn't do like a lot of stretches where you'd fight an enemy, then you'd get to rest, then you'd fight an enemy and you'd get to rest because that wasn't really all that fun in the game. So computer games tried to just be like, okay, you'll just fight like 57 enemies in a row. And it's like, that's not how the tabletop rules actually work to support that. You have to have a GM to make that possible. I don't, yeah. I don't know if you necessarily have to have a, but you have to have someone responding and filling in details. Um, someone adding to that narrative element. Someone thinking. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Someone thinking and like, yeah, like and responding and be having that conversation. That is role-playing games. Yeah. And they just didn't do that in a lot of games that were based on second edition. When I was moved up to third edition, it was a lot easier to just have like straight up combat games. But at that point, then you had like such advances in computer technology and stuff that they were able to actually do more with it than they had previously. So it became reasonable at that point. We'll also consider how far computer technology advanced during the period of second edition. So second edition ranges from I think the D&D gold box games mm. all the way up to mm. all the way up to Baldur's Gate. Mm-hmm. And Baldur's Gate 2 even. Yeah. But I think the first one that actually used third edition rules uh I think it was actually Knights of the Old Republic. And they mod and they modified them quite a bit. I don't think that was the first. I think first one was Temple of Elemental Evil, which was a computer i yeah i'm not 100 percent sure um i'm yeah I, that sounds right or some other because there was D&D there was there was never never winter nights was later um, yeah i thought there was some D game that like came out pretty like computer game that came out pretty soon after that used similar rules if not the same um, uh, let me double time. Anyway, Temple of Elemental Evil was really, was really chunky. It was really, it was, it was really <laughs> like, this is, it's, it was pretty rough. It was pretty rough to play. Um, there, there were a lot of, there were a lot mm-hmm. of like glitchy things in the, when, with the, when it first came out. I don't know if they ever patched those, but it, 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 it I eventually hit a wall of unplayableness in it. Um, and just sort of fell apart, but for, at least for me. Um, yeah, I think I think yeah, Temple of the Legal was two thousand three. No, I double checked. Uh, it was September sixteenth, two thousand three, for the Temple of Elemental mm-hmm. Evil. July fifteenth, two thousand three, for wow. Kotor. Yeah, that would have been the first implementation of third edition. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was wrong. Well, they were pretty close together, but yeah, yeah. I didn't know they were. Uh... Hmm. I hadn't known of the Temple of Elemental Evil, so that was blind luck yep. on my part. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to take credit yeah. for that, but I'll give you credit. no, no. <laughs> Just your unabashed assuming you're right. It was definitely one of the first ones, at least, and they changed quite a bit to make it work. Yeah, and then they didn't blindly follow it, and it worked. And then, oddly enough, the Star Wars, I think, RPG was based on that. The I don't remember, don't remember when that came out, but that was certainly right around that time when uh, Wizards of the Coast uh, first. No, 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 the first Wizards of the Coast. Oh, one, the Wizards of the Coast. The first one, because they yeah, did yeah. three, I think. There was the original, and then revised, and then Saga, I believe. Some, yeah, that sounds right-ish. And then at some point, the West End games got a hold of it, I think, a while after the original. Well, there was the original West End game, which is interestingly responsible for a lot of the extended universe canon 
Yeah, that's what I've yeah, I've heard. It's, it's weird in that way. Yeah, after, after in nineteen eighty five, after West End bid eighty six thousand dollars for the license, beating out TSR's bid of seventy five thousand. Um, the designers at West End basically said, uh, "There's basically nothing in the Star Wars universe. We need to populate it." So they made up a bunch of stuff. And send it to Lucasfilm, and George Lucas just basically signed off on it, and that's where most of the Star Wars universe population comes from. That sounds like a very George Lucas thing to do. Yeah, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. hey, somebody else is going to do all your work for mm-hmm. you and pay you for it. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> Yeah, but that's it. Yeah. Uh, oh, thinking of that, that was actually a di- D6 dice pool game that preceded Shadowrun. That was probably even more. I think it's pretty close to Shadowrun. There were even there were D6 dice pool games before even that. Mm-hmm. I can't name one, but yeah, I'm sure there's one before 1986. Yeah, yeah. you're probably right. I mean. Technically, GURPS rolling three dice is a D6 yeah. dice pool, and that uh, goes yeah. way back. Traveler is... Traveler is I mean, 2D6, ish. Though, right? No, wait. Fuck, I... God. Nope, never mind. I got that mixed up with something else. I mean, if you want to get really technical about it, you could go back before even D&D's 3D6 for its stats. Like, you could go into the war games themselves. That those, yeah, those from. were all... D6 pools, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. So, at the very start, it was basically D6s. Well, they weren't all D6s. Just dice pools. Yeah, pool. <clears throat> lot of, yeah most Well, most of them. them. Yeah. Well, here's the other story about mm-hmm. D&D. Oh, shit. Here we go. <laughs> Is that originally they planned to make the entire game use nothing but D20s? But that would, but that was prohibitively more expensive than ordering sets of polyhedral dice as we know them now. So they changed the entire game to use all the polyhedrals. Really? Hmm. Yep. You know, it's interesting. We were talking about D and D on the innovation, uh, the one we're supposed to talk about, like novelty. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, but there was all this innovation in D and D happened in like 1972. Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep yeah. in mind, it was novel at the time. Yes. It just hasn't ever been since. Yeah. Well, I would say or... that parts of it are still novel. It's just not the parts we'd like it to be. Yeah, but that's on purpose. Yeah. It's it's supposed to be a middle-of-the-road game. I, yeah. well, I mean, keep yeah. in mind, like, look at, like, what they did with 4th edition. That was actually very novel, and everybody hated it. <laughs> Which is unfortunate. Well, not because, I, did, I didn't. Hear oh no, not everybody. But it was. It was a like. I actually liked it too. But the concept is, it's like it was a large enough portion yeah. of the player base that rejected yeah. it because it wasn't D and D. Unfortunately, so they're kind of hamstrung. No, but see, that's that's where they were wrong. It was D and D. It was D and D being honest about itself. Yeah, I I realize that, but. It didn't feel like D and D to yeah. the players. Yeah, yeah, they, so. it felt exactly like D and D to the players. It just didn't have any 
mask over itself. It didn't pretend to be more than it was. I mean, I agree with your assessment, but I, I also agree with Kat's point. I mean, it, it was, as, it was, for a lot of people, it was, I, I mean, that's the complaint I heard the most, even though yeah, I think you're technically right, but like it was, it doesn't feel like D&D to me is what I heard a lot. I mean, at the time, and this was, I was working at a game store at the time, boy, the shit storm, you could not imagine. Like it was, there was a segment that was very, very into it. And then like a, a segment that was very, very not. And they were, when Pathfinder came out, it was, it was like such a weird polarization of, of the, of the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd never seen anything. I mean, the only thing I that was kind of close to that was when, um, <clears throat> is when uh, world of darkness rebooted itself into the NWOD and, and lost the meta plot, which I thought was a good innovation. Um, and I think they, they did a lot of reasonable and uh, careful things with the design in, in the revamp. And I'm actually very interested to see the, uh, the new version that's coming out this summer as well. The uh, new version of vampire that the alpha looked pretty cool. I don't know how much they kept, but. Um... I'm off top of my head. I do know that I want to see like what new one's done because supposedly they kept like the D10. That's mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. And honestly, I never really liked just World of Darkness's, like, mechanics in general. It's always been, like, a lesser form of Shadowrun for me. Like, the game is, like, the setting and everything is great. And then the mechanics for actually playing in the game is mediocre, not actively bad, but not good. They were, they were, yeah, in, yeah. In, in in World of Darkness, the ratio of setting vibrance to mechanical clunkiness was much more tolerable. Yeah, it was tolerable. But it was still like like the first. So I would say the first and second edition of Vampire, um, and I, maybe even third if you wanted to drag it along. But like first and second edition were like mechanically pretty chunky because it was four rolls to resolve a single attack, um, and it was just combat took so long. If you got into a combat, <clears throat> that was a wrap on the night pretty much. Well, that's, that was fine for vampire because vampires not really supposed to be about yeah. combat. It's supposed to be about right. politics. Oh, Kenneth Height. Kenneth Height is writing it. Uh, oh yeah. He's the one doing the new edition. Yeah. Kenneth Height and Mark Ryan Hagen and a bunch of other people, but I believe those are the two principles on it. So that's cool. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm very interested to check it out. I don't know if I'm gonna pre-order it. Uh, and don't pre-order yeah. anything. Well, yeah, I, I don't think I will. I'm gonna check it out first. I'm gonna see if I can find it at a game store and, and and flip through it and see if I like it. But man, the Lux rulebook looks so fucking sexy. Mm. <laughs> I I I love I love yeah. the Lux RPG books, man. I'm such a sucker. I know they're they're so yeah. pretty. There's a couple that my my local half price books has a couple like in a little glass case. And I always just kind of go, oh, I would love to have. What are they? Also, ninety dollars. Uh oh gosh, what are they? Um, I honestly can't, they're they're not games I'm interested. In. I no, there was one that was a like a GURPS. 
like it had like a a GURPS deluxe rulebook. Really? I, I wow. couldn't tell you what edition. Huh. Yeah, it was. If I remember right, like the first or second edition book of just like the standard book of in nominee was pretty. Yes, high I end. have that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's yeah. It's very it's very nice. It's got a nice faux leather cover with like this red uh, foil inlay. Yeah, it's it's quite a nice looking book. Yeah, for sure. The one I remember seeing of Inamini was like the 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 really off white leather cover with still with the gold embossing on it. Mm-hmm. They made two versions, yeah. So there was like the the evil version and the good version. So there was a white one with the gold embossing and a black one with the red embossing. I've got the black one. Uh, I and I regret not buying a copy of Nobilis when I saw it. I could have, but the Nobelist book is so pretty. Un- yeah, it is. It's unbelievably pretty. And I was like, what the fuck game is this? When we got it in fucking my game story got it in like 2004, 2005. I can't remember when it came out exactly, but we got a copy and it just sat there because it was fucking like $60, $70 or something like that. It looked like a coffee table art book. And like n- people were just not ready for that shit at the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. People really aren't ready for a two hundred dollar bunch of random stuff packed in a cube game either, but that Kickstarter went bonkers. Well that's some innovation for you. Yeah, that Invisible Sun game. That was called Invisible Sun, yeah, yeah. Where it's like a bunch of cards and circular cards and all kinds of crazy shit. Yeah, I, I'd be interested to check out the rules. I don't know if I'd I'm not putting down two hundred dollars to tr- try it though, for sure. For- from what I under, from what I remember of the hype that happened when the Kickstarter was running, Invisible Invisible Suns is supposed to play a lot like Pokemon Go in some ways. Like it's supposed to be an out in the real world gameplay kind of hmm. thing, almost LARPy. Weird. All right, hmm, I think on the weird. note of the LARPy two hundred dollar game, <laughs> we're gonna wrap up our our uh, oh. <laughs> go for it Fred oh wait I had one thing to say this actually ties in um, there's a, a game I don't know if you ever see it I think it's called Fall of the Magi um, son of a bitch is it yeah I something like that it's got Fall and Magi um, and it's this beautiful game um, that's played across a scroll and it's like this you slowly unroll the scroll and like travel along it uh, and it just looks gorgeous. I sadly don't have a copy of it because it's 90 some dollars and I just can't get that. I can't do it. But, oh God, does it look pretty. I remember that. It's not called that. It's uh, it's called something else. Shit, I don't remember what it's called. But I, I know what you're talking about. It's like it comes in like in, in a scroll box and as you play, you move al- like you unfurl the scroll and move along it. And yeah. stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, damn, yeah, I don't almost... remember what that name is either. It's not, it's not called Fall of the Magi though. It's not? I'm pretty sure it's not. I just want to, as a closing thought, say uh, innovation is nice. Do do it, but uh, make sure it has a point. If you're being innovative for the sake of being innovative, it's probably not (laughs) going to work out. (laughs) Or, well, actually, I would say being different for the sake of being different. If it's actually innovative, then it's basically different for a purpose. 
What is innovation? That's a beginning of the cast. Well, question. you kind of have to solve a problem. If you're not solving a problem, then it's not really innovative, is it? Two hours in, we're going to get to that. Yeah, yeah, on brand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> on yeah, brand. Yeah, on brand is right. It's the dumpster yeah, we lit it kind of late tonight. What was that? What was that? Almost too late. Yeah, yeah, we did. Almost too late. Almost too late. Oof. Never too like, never too late to light a dumpster fire. No, no, we definitely got that, to that with the glittery dildos. God damn it, cat! Stop being contrarian for one second. No, no, <laughs> please, <laughs> no, no. You know, right. I was once called a contrarian, and then I said no. And then we all laughed. Good night, everybody. That's just what happened, Fred. All right. All right, everybody. (laughs) Rob for Car, Catrice, Fred, John, Kevin, Mark. Signing off.